Hey, founders, welcome to another episode of the Gab Lab. So glad that you are here. This is a show that is designed to bring you financial intelligence that won't only just blow your mind, but it's there to help you build your bottom line as well. Today's episode is being championed by our good friends at Community Future Sunrise. They're in Southeast Saskatchewan to help business owners build their business and nail their numbers. I'm your show host, Tanya Woods-Richardson, and today's episode is all about change management. Who doesn't need a little bit of that after COVID? Our uh, pro today, our Nail the Number pro, Astrid DeLon, she's a senior organizational management consultant. Uh, she's got some tremendous insights on this topic. So glad you're here for this one. Come on over. We'll see you in the lab. All right. Welcome to the show, Astrid. Welcome to the lab. I am so happy, beyond happy you're here. There's so many reasons for my, my joy and appreciation for you being here today. But I will say this whole topic of change management, you really got me thinking about the topic because we go way back and change management isn't at the forefront of the conversations that many founders are having in their business, but I suspect they're going through it every day. They just don't know that they're going through it. So I was wondering in this episode, you're going to give us a whole bunch of uh, great information, lay out the framework for us. But do you mind starting off with really just clarifying for founders, small business owners, what change management is? What is it exactly? So change management is uh, in, in my own, I have my own take on this. And my take is that um, as a consultant, I, I'm there to help organizations, small, medium, large, um, be able to adapt, to adapt to any change that happens. Some of these changes are small, some of those are larger, some of these are intended, some of those changes are not intended. But to me, ultimately, it goes down to the individual. Because when each individual within an organization trusts in their ability to handle change, even if they don't know what's coming their way, then it changes the whole organization. And the way we, we, um, we help each individual um, trust their own ability to, uh, to handle change is by equipping them. It's by communicating with them. It's by helping them trust in themselves. And, um, and we do that through a series of, uh, I do that through a series of, um, of tools that are given to them. They need to feel like they're always in the know as to what's going on. And they need to feel that they've experienced successes with some of the changes that they've gone through. So how would you describe, what would be an example of change? The smallest example up to something big like COVID. Um, well, there's two types of changes, I would say. There are the types of changes that are external, and then there's the type of changes that are internal. So for example, internally, there could be a new method of doing the work for whatever reason. There's a new product that you decide to launch. So now we're gonna have to do things differently. Or there's a new process for whatever reason. Um, a new organizational structure. You got purchased, you purchased another company, you, you split up, and now you have to do things differently because your HR uh, resources have changed. Um, there could be also some changes in terms of personnel policy or employee benefits. Anything internally that can change uh, can be a disruptor to the uh, function, the main functions of the organization. There's also external change forces. So for example, technology, uh, an example of technology change is that the uh, software applications that you use to run your business, the, your vendor is no longer supporting the platform that they are operating on, for example. So now you need to go out there and look for something new, whether you decide to stay with the same vendor and their new product, or do you decide that this is an opportunity to look out there and see what else is out there. So that's an, an impact from technology that's uh, from the outside. It could be competition. Competition may have streamlined their own way of doing business, and now you're trying to catch up. Uh, it could be government actions. So for example, some changes, some uh, regulatory and compliance changes. Now you have to change the way you're doing business. Economic variables, social values, social values saying, for example, we don't want to use this type of energy anymore. We want to move towards this type of energy. And now all of a sudden you have to think, okay, how do I survive this? And of course, pandemics. That's another external um, type of, uh, of change that is forced upon a, uh, a company. Pivot. Pivot, everybody, right? We, I think everybody knows that we're oh, pivot, pivot, pivot. So for small business owners, um, 
founders, I'm throwing small out there, but we know that there's a vast array out there. Um, it feels like to me, correct me if I'm wrong, that they are in the middle of change every day and really just very reactionary for the most part. Like I, I think back to my, back to my past experiences, which you know about my present experiences, every day we're hit with something, right? Something gets canceled or technology doesn't work or some, somebody didn't deliver on deliverables and we have to hire somebody new in that space. So is change management really just the process of being intentional and hopefully proactive to understanding what's coming our way and how to best address it or yes yes it uh it and then it wades into the area of uh, risk management but i'll talk that about that during the the second uh, the second portion of this um of this okay. interview okay. um but something that is important to understand is that is to look at a, an organization and that the changes that impact an organization through the holistic view of three things, technology, processes, and people. So let me give you an example. So technology, for example, as I just gave you an example already that um, you have to change your technology because your provider is no longer supporting the platform and now you have to change it. But let's look at the impact of that. Now the technology change Maybe an opportunity for you to review your processes. We used to do this and had 12 steps. Do we need all 12 steps? So now looking at the processes, it's an opportunity to say, okay, how can we streamline our processes? How can we add some things that used to fall by the wayside before that? So that's one impact. The second impact area of impact is the people. So when there's a change in technology or in processes, then the people have to learn how to do things differently. They're the ones operating the technology. They're the ones making sure that the processes are being kept um, intact. If there is a change to the processes because of, again, regular, uh, regulatory or a compliance or something like that, you may have to change your technology to reflect how you're going to support those processes with this technology. Again, your people there are key in maintaining the integrity of both your technology and your processes. And then if you have changes within the people, so whether you have to do things with fewer people or with more people, if there's a merger, for example, that is absolutely changing your processes. When two companies come together, it's also absolutely changing your technology. Which one of the two companies' technology are you going to use? I've had clients who have had to deal with this. Most, uh, and I would say every merger has to do with how do we bring our technology, our processes, and our people together? Who's going to get what kind of role? So the all whether the change is within the technology, the processes, or the people, it affects the other two areas. So um, the one thing then to keep in mind is as a corporation, as a company, as an organization, what is your purpose and what is your function? Because that's going to be your North Star. Okay. So I just want to, I, I want to grab this because I think this is also important. So the North Star becomes the, the purpose and the function of what the company is doing. So we get a handle on that. And then as we, as we move through the operations um, and, and potentially like COVID did, right? None of us really had an opportunity to adapt to it and put together strategies. It was, we were in the middle of, of crisis and trauma. And, uh, you know, what do we do? Um, but then understanding as, as conditions start to impact our business, I'm hearing these three pillars of understanding each cause and then the effect that it's going to have on technology, process, and people. And I'm wondering there, I, I just, I had a fascinating conversation today, and I'm wondering if it dovetails into this, that as then, as the leader of the company, it is then our role to communicate that vision or that plan with the people so that it's about making sure that the communication of those changes and the impact of those changes are mitigated to the best of our ability by communicating everything up front and with authenticity and transparency. And, and sorry, I'm, dove I'm, I'm dovetailing two conversations here, but I can see the overlap now. And that is, am I on the right track with that? Absolutely. So um, leadership, the leadership of an organization is always uh, either the, the ultimate success for the organization or the ultimate failure. It always goes back to the top. 
and uh, the communication of anything, any changes, any progress, any innovation to the people within the organization is key. But often we communicate and we communicate one way and we think, I've had clients who said we've communicated and so people have opened the email. So we have an open rate of 60%, but did they read it? Well, we have no way of knowing that. That's problematic. Because you absolutely need to have a 360 going on all the time. The same way as a good organization does not do yearly um, performance reviews because it's too late. <laughs> um, it has to be ongoing. You always have, as the leader, you have to have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in your organization. If you issue a message to your organization, you have to know how it's being received. And then you take this and then you respond to that. And it's ongoing. It just cannot stop. Wow. When I was talking about the purpose and the function, and this is what a leader has to be able to communicate as well. One example that I have is I had a client in the Northwest Territories and um, they uh, were uh, providing electricity to the Northwest Territories. So I asked them what their purpose was and they said, our purpose is to provide electricity. And by asking them a lot more questions because they were trying to find better ways of being of service to their, uh, to their stakeholders and to their customers, they realized that in fact, providing electricity was their function. It wasn't their purpose. Their purpose, usually the purpose is a lot more holistic, a lot more, it's higher. Mm -hmm. And their purpose was to keep people alive. Because in the Northwest Territories, if you don't have electricity, often you don't have heat. If you don't have heat, you will die in your home. And so their purpose was to keep people alive. Their function was to do it through the, 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 um, the, the providing of electricity. electricity. Yeah. Their so as an organization, what is your function? And then within your organization, what is the function of every sub, you know, group kind of thing? But what is the ultimate purpose? Because the purpose is what every group and subgroup within your organization oh. should be able to go back to. That is your true North Star. Oh, Astrid, I love that. That is very powerful. And it reminds me, you, you know him and you love him, um, Ryan, Ryan Townsend from William Joseph, right? And he was talking about brand and the promise of your brand. And what are you really delivering and then in, in one other episode, we were talking about, this was from an angel investor that was saying, what value are you delivering? Like, get me excited about what you're doing. Like, what are you doing? And so I love that all of these messages, the messages overlap. And this is one that's coming back to me now over and over again through every episode is really understanding that purpose. Because the other thing that I'm getting excited about here is I know that the the um, the episode champion of this specific episode comes from a region, and we're seeing a lot of this in Western Canada, but resource-dependent businesses, right? And I suspect that when you've nailed your purpose, that purpose can be applied across multiple industries. You don't get stuck into one bucket. Yep. Yeah. Ah. And the the the, uh, the trauma i would say that our world is going through right now and has been going through for the past year has changed a lot of our focus and it's made uh, made us more aware of our reliance on each other even though we don't get to hug anymore even though we don't get to touch each other we have become more reliant the technology has played a huge role in that but we are becoming more reliant on each other and that reliance is also asking us to elevate the questions that we ask about what we do. So to move from function to purpose. Oh, I love that. Okay, I feel like we could have a whole other episode on that. And I wanna bring it around at the end of this segment to tap into then, once we understand that purpose, as changes come up now, not to the purpose, the purpose remains static, the function may change, but then the question as the leader becomes, how does it impact these three pillars of technology, process, and people, and then communicate. And what I love about what you added about communication, communic and I don't know what the ratio is. I should know the ratio, but it's X percent speaking and X percent listening, right? And so that listener, it's not just throwing the email out, it's listening to the response back mm -hmm. and then managing how people are feeling through that change, is that right? Or is that another segment? 
Do I no, stop there? That's exactly what it is. It's it's part of the, the communication aspect. It has to be, I call it three-way communication because what happens is that we've got one-way communication. We communicate to our audiences, okay? Then they get to communicate back to us, which is great. But if we educate our audiences well, they support and teach and communicate it amongst themselves. And you're creating a whole new level of engagement. Yes. So powerful founders. I hope just sit in that. We're going to take a break here at the end of part one, all about change management. Astrid, that was really powerful. So whatever, I have a whole bunch of notes that I actually want to write down. So take this moment, write down these notes, and we're going to see you back here in the lab for part two. Astrid, thank you for being here. And a huge shout out to our episode champions, Community Future Sunrise. Thank you so much for requesting this topic. It wasn't on my radar and you forced me to go out and find the expert to come and speak to this. And I think it's a very uh, important topic for a lot of founders to actually just contemplate in our business. So thank you. We'll see you back in here for part two. Okay, founders, welcome back for part two of this episode, which is all about change management, a topic not, that not all of us kind of dive into on a regular basis, but so happy that our Nail the Number Pro is here with us today, Astrid Deland. Welcome back, Astrid. Um, and Astrid, Senior Organizational Management Consultant, correct? Working right. with small organizations, large organizations, um, you know, vast areas of expertise in this in this space. And I know that you drill down into some really unique niches, too, that maybe we can talk about um, in a little bit. But this segment of change management is all about resilience. I'm going to leave it at one word because I know you've you're going to share with us how this how this really touches upon many different areas so hmm. take it away where do we start all right so when i uh, work with my clients one thing that they always want to talk about is really resilience but it's often risk management and so risk management the interesting thing about risk management is that you often know the risks that are potential and so you can plan for those um and um an example, as a driver, you use a seatbelt. The risk is car accident. The seatbelt is the prevention to minimize this risk, okay? Um, looking at COVID, looking at this uh, pandemic we're going through, so unpredictable. No, that's not true. Totally predictable. It's happened before. It's going to happen again. So why, why were we all so unprepared? because we are not planning. Now, the thing with risk management, like I said, is there are specific solutions to specific risks, but what when you're not quite sure what the risk is going to look like when it becomes an issue? So for example, um, a cold virus. We all get the cold, we all get the flu once in a while, and we can't, our bodies don't necessarily know how to behave or react to the one specific virus, but you get enough sleep, you take your vitamin C, you eat healthy, and what you're doing is you are building the capabilities to react well to an unpredictable change. Mm -hmm. So one thing that's predictable is you're going to get a virus, but how you react is by building this infrastructure that allows you to handle anything that comes your way. Oh, I love it. I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> so that's the difference between risk management and resilience. Now, what elements allow you to become resilient as an individual, as a corporation, as an organization, as a community, as an industry. So the elements that allow you to do that are things such as diversity, redundancy, decentralization, and self-renewal. All of these things enable resilience, resiliency in nature and the ability to maintain function despite the disturbance. You're gonna hear me refer to nature a few times because okay. that's my thing. Sorry, so I think you just need to repeat that last piece because there was a lot there and yeah. I was stuck on a and couple of words. I'm going to go to each one of them. I'm going okay. to go to each one of them. Okay, okay. Being resilient really is about having the ability to recover after disturbances or significant and predictable changes in your environment. 
in nature, for example, it's a fire, a flood, a blizzard, an injury, that kind of stuff. In business, it can be innovation, competition, a pandemic, all of these things. So again, diversity, redundancy, decentralization, and self-renewal. Let's look at them individually. Okay. So what does um, diversity mean in business? Well, often it refers to the presence of multiple forms, processes, or systems that meet a uh, functional need. So diversity can include a variety of behavioral, physical, or uh, other type of responses to a change in the environment. I'm not just talking about having a, uh, an equal, uh, equal um, uh, number of male and female in the workforce, okay. people yeah. cultures, that matters. That absolutely matters because it allows you to look at one thing from different point, points of view. But we're also talking about the diversity that allows you, again, the variety of behavioral and physical responses to a change in the environment. That's important. The so we're talking aspect, about the human aspect. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, but also okay. the processes, a diversity of processes. So my mind goes right away to redundancy, like redundancy, making doing, sure there's, okay, that's a second section? That's the second one. Okay. Okay. But the second one is redundancy. So that means there's more than one representative system or organism or, or a species that provides each function gotcha. and that there's overlap. So that the loss or decline of one uh, representation or function doesn't destroy the whole system. Here's a really ex easy example of redundancy. When I have to travel to give a presentation, of course, I take my laptop with me. I take my, my presentation is on my laptop. My presentation is also on the fob. And uh, I send the presentation over to the, um, to the host of the uh, event. And I have some paper copies. Because Perfect. if my Perfect. computer crashes, yeah, these are redundancies. Because if my computer crashes, if I lose my fob or it gets confiscated some for whatever reason at the airport, and I get there, and even the um, even my host uh, system goes down, I've had that. I still have my paper, and I can still offer the presentation. Yeah, always something comes up, right? Always. Always something comes up. You okay. have to plan for as many eventualities as possible. So two things that are coming to mind here, as my mind was still processing diversity, would it be, as it pertains to, 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 to small business, I can see uh, potentially, yes, diversity in a little bit of overlap in training and people knowing what each other's roles are, right? So they're not operating in silos. I can yeah. see potential diversity in our client base. So not Eight, not 100% of our revenue is coming from one client that we have some diversity and multiple exactly. sources of revenue. Exactly. When, what I love about what you're saying about redundancy, actually, my mind right away goes to the sales process. And when a client, uh, sorry, I'm thinking one of my clients, but when a founder gets on the phone and they're making that sale and one of the first objections mm -hmm. is, oh, we already use someone, I can see this being a perfect opening to say, wouldn't it be great to have a backup system just in case that one person that you use wasn't available and you had some redundancy to like, I can just see that being such a great, uh, a great objection matcher in that spot. It is. Okay. It is. Yeah. Okay. Two great examples. So I'm picking up what you're putting down now. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm doing it. Now okay. in terms of diversity, also don't forget uh, products, services, mm. right? Okay. Because yeah. people, if, you're, um, if your offering is one product or one service, what happens if, because of outside factors, for example, it starts being replaced by something else? Right. You need something else. You yes. need even to overlap as one may be disappearing or uh, decreasing or something like, you need something else. If the business as a whole, if you are to maintain your purpose, whatever your purpose is, you need to have diversity in terms of offering and services as well. Oh, yeah, so important, right? Yeah. Especially in the resource industry. You know, so many people just put everything, all their eggs in that one basket, you know, yeah. barrel goes up or price, up, price per barrel goes up, price per barrel goes down. Coal, we've got a lot of businesses struggling with the coal transition strategy. So diversity in product services industries. I love that. So smart. Okay, now, diversity. What's that? Sorry, Esther. Go ahead. No, no, you. So the third one is decentralization. So that means that the mechanisms maintaining those functions uh, are scattered throughout the system. So not located exclusively together. When you're talking about all the eggs in one basket, 
That's exactly what it is. So that a localized disturbance, for example, doesn't remove one or more vital parts of the whole system. Our electrical, uh, electrical grid is built like that. So that if something goes out somewhere, it's divided in a way so that the whole city doesn't go out. So what in your business, you know, that's can you look at where you have a certain set of decentralized items so that if something goes down, it's not the whole system that goes down. So what could that possibly look like? I'm trying to map that one out in my head. So for example, uh, if we're looking at technology, if you're looking at technology, then it could be that, yes, you're operating in the cloud, but you also have some kind of backup, like a backup is decentralization. Okay. 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 If you have a manufacturing plant for something, then you need to plan if that plan gets hit by lightning, for example, where are you going to keep going to, to where are you going to go to keep your business going? What are you going to do? What is the difference between decentralization and redundancy? Because the redundancy, hopefully these things already are in place. Decentralization can just be planning. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Now I'm we're looking at self-renewal. So if we're looking at nature, which is, that's my teacher. Um, it's often applied at the cellular organism level. So self-renewal can be applied to uh, all kinds of contexts. So um, the capacity to regenerate new cells, heal wounds, damaged organs, and so on. When we break our bones, that's self-renewal when we repair. The COVID-19 situation is in recent time, for this generation, I would say, the um, largest, most significant test of business and humankind resilience. Yes. Yeah. So if we were to focus deeper on resilience, uh, the resilience links to sustainability and business, we need to look at what greater outcomes are possible through intelligent systems that do three things, anticipate, respond, and thrive through challenges. Okay, you're going to have to walk me through that one. So I'm still on self-renewal. <laughs> And I'm, I'm thinking, well, wouldn't that be lovely? Because I think every founder right now would actually like to self-renew at this point. There's a lot of mental exhaustion and fatigue and financial exhaustion and fatigue. So I'm with you there. I've got that piece. I can see how it, it then, how that can be applied to the business. I'm missing where, how we figure out where we get that renewal from. From ourselves, ourselves do it automatically, but how do we do it in our business? Part three. Okay. Oh, okay. More to these elements. So this is the introduction and the explanation of what does it look like? What does it mean? These are the elements. This is a focus on what all these four elements are important to resilience. There you go. Resilience, your corporation, your organization, your community, your, uh, your industry. Those are the things that are important for resilience to happen. Beautiful. Well, you just did the trailer for us for part three, then that's the, that's the spoiler for part three, everybody. Before we get to part three, I have a question on the risk management. I'm going back to the very beginning of this, uh, this part of our episode. So risk management, you had talked about really just planning, and it, it kind of takes me back to another episode where it was about scenario testing on the numbers. What would happen if? What would happen if? And starting to put plans together in place for the what if. Mm -hmm. What have you seen? Um, because really, this, this show is all about numbers. I need to come back to the numbers for a moment here. But from a risk management perspective, and I don't know if you have data on this. I'm just, I'm curious from a budgeting perspective, because for those founders that do budget, um, the ones that do, they're oftentimes not budgeting that contingency. And this is why we advocate for people, founders building a profit into their, you know, getting that bottom line, because that goes into retained earnings, which helps businesses, weather, economic downturns, blah, blah, blah. I say this on every episode, so every founder is probably like, I get it, I get it, I get it. But what do you see? Do you see actual businesses budgeting for emergencies? Is, is that a line item? Yes and no. Okay. And so the yes and no comes uh, depending on the industry. Some industry are uh, legislated to 
and are, um, are compelled by the government and by the um, regulatory uh, industry to, to have risk management. It's part, they have to have it. Okay. So it has to be a line item. Smaller organizations, and depending as well on uh, the uh, type of industry that they're in, don't necessarily have to have it. So if an, a, a, a small business, for example, was to say, how much would it cost me for me to implement a risk management component? It's like saying, what's the price of a house? Right. Okay. So it, it depends. Yeah. It depends on your industry because if you're an industry that has high level of oversight, such as the energy industry, for example, then you're going to have to have somebody who does who does your your risk management planning, who's going to go into all of this regulatory information and pull all this out, measure all of your behaviors within the organization, uh, both in terms of the people, making sure that uh, financially it's captured, like everything, even in terms of, um, of your internal audits, all of these things become part of, of risk management because risk is several things. It's a health, it's environment, it's financial, it is a lot of aspects to, uh, to risk management. Okay. And so um, it really depends on the organization. So some organizations do it. Now, here's the thing. Organizations, even organizations that have done it, they get it done, they've paid a consultant, it's done. Eight years later, something hits them on the left side of the head and they're like, okay, risk does not apply anymore. It's outdated. So the same as communication has to be ongoing, mm. risk management and resilience have to be ongoing initiatives. You can't just say, it's done, I put it on the shelf and I'll reach for it when, it's, when I need it. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. yeah. And as you're going through that, I'm thinking, you know, that's probably a tough pill for a lot of small business owners to, to swallow when it comes to making that investment in that because you don't get an ROI necessarily. Right. It's a gamble to make yeah, that investment. Because, right. Yeah, that's exactly like what it is, isn't right? it? Um, exactly risk it management is. is like insurance. You're planning for an eventuality right. that may or may not happen. Right. If it happens, you're glad for it. But if it doesn't happen, it feels like, okay, well, what was that for? Why did we spend it? But it's like insurance. You absolutely need it. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. Makes complete sense. So um, is this, so this is kind of a plug, I'm just going to throw this out there. Is this some of the work that you do with organizations, understanding the it risk is. management? So risk management to me feels a little bit more proactive, right? And then the change man, or no. Nope, nope, I um, that. nope, that's not right. Nah. Well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, it's, it's neither proactive nor reactive. It is a necessity. So right. risk then, the risk management is the, sorry to cut you off, risk management is the, 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 the event and then change is how the organization then and the people yes. within the organization react to that event now they feel. That's right. Okay. That's Sorry, right. I should so If we were to go back to like wearing a seatbelt, for example, so the risk is the activity is driving a vehicle. The risk is you may uh, enter in a collision. That's the risk. If you enter in a collision, it's now an issue. It's no longer a risk, it's now an issue. But if you have a seatbelt, for example, then the, uh, the seatbelt was the risk management. It's something that you do on a regular basis to prevent a worse outcome of a potential eventuality. Okay. Now, let's say that you do get into a collision and your seatbelt traps you. You can't get out. So change management comes in, okay, and resilience comes in. How do you get out of that? Did you plan to have one of those cutters in your car so yeah, you could cut your seatbelt? I have one, Astrid. I... <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny you brought that up. I've never used it, but I have it. <laughs> exactly, right? So, because sometimes one solution creates another problem and happens all the time. So that would be change management. It's your ability to react to something that is not necessarily planned, which is your seatbelt, which protected you, is not keeping you stuck. 
Gotcha. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank you for that clarification. That makes sense. Absolutely. Okay. So part three, this is where you're going to, uh, to help us kind of better understand what next steps are, like what we need to start asking ourselves to build our change management exactly. strategy. Okay. All right. Thank you, Astrid. Um, thank you, Community Future Sunrise. As always, uh, Community Future Sunrise, they are uh, an office in Southeast Saskatchewan that is there helping all the founders in that area build their business, nail their numbers. Thank you for all that you do. We're going to see everybody back in here for part three, as Astrid just mentioned, so that we can better build our own strategy, take all of this learning now and apply it to our business. We'll see you back in the lab for part three. Bye for now. All right, founders, welcome back. We are back here for our final, our, uh, do we save the best for last? I think we did save the best for last in this one. Um, so part three, and this is all about change management, but this part, this segment specifically, uh, Astrid Deland, our Nail the Number Pro and Senior Organizational Management Consultant, that's a mouthful, is here to walk us through the questions we should be asking, uh, should is a bad word, but could be asking mm -hmm. ourselves, to build a change management strategy in our organization, in our business. Okay, so where do we start, Astrid, on this one? So we're going to talk about, to go back to that, going back to diversity, and you did bring up some of the, uh, the topics about diversity that are important. Because the thing is that many businesses right now will be taking on a crash course in business continuity management. How do you keep the doors open and the people employed? as well as systematic future change will be needed for them to uh, have successful, to experience successful long-term um, rather than going back to business as usual. So- Actually, can I just stop right there for just a sec? I think you mentioned something so important. It, let's not go back to business as usual, right? If COVID taught us anything, it's about our businesses. If we have struggled through this, our businesses weren't necessarily healthy to start off with, especially if we were dependent on specific industries, right? Clients, sorry, to, I just, that was no, such an important point that let's use this. Every time we're in the middle of crisis, it's an opportunity for us to understand how we can be better next time, right? How we Absolutely. build better, smarter, more efficient. So, sorry, I just wanted to really nail no, that's that. Great. That's that great. And, okay. and, and I know that uh, when I was thinking about, about this, I thought that was an important point to make is that you're never going back. You, whether you're in the uh, service industry, whether you are in uh, the consulting industry, whether you are in the energy industry, you are never going back to what it used to be. It's not happening. It didn't used to, but we kept thinking we could. But now I think that uh, the universe has given us the, uh, the sign that you are never going back. You're only moving forward from here on. Mm -hmm. So in terms of diversity as a business, I want you to ask yourselves, customer diversity is key in economic times. So how diversified are you and can you target multiple sectors? Can you figure out what other clients, customers could be, could have a use for your product or your service. Could you, on the other hand, tweak your product or your service to suddenly have access to many more sectors of customers and clients? Okay, so let me see if I got this straight. So when we're looking at diversity, looking at our current product offering, what could potentially be tweaked about it so that it would appeal to new market segments, either yeah. across border, right, geography wise, or mm -hmm. across multiple different industries mm -hmm. that, you know, so breaking out mm -hmm. of, of that piece, looking at the diversity in clients and customers. And so maybe I've actually just overlapped them because they sound quite familiar or similar to me now. So when I'm thinking about clients, or is this about just getting more clients? It's about maybe getting more, but also different clients. Okay, okay. Because you could get more of the same, but if your product does not adapt or your service does not adapt, you may not be able to get more of the same. So you may get more of different ones. Okay. And I actually, you know, what I was just thinking about there too, is that 
I think there might be some businesses that were trying to be everything to everybody and realizing that maybe if they took that service offering or product offering and started to build niche markets for each one of those, but crafted different messages that pertain to that market. So same product, but then market it differently for all of these niches, creating diversity in, in that, in that offering through the market. Okay. I'm getting you. I'm picking up what you're putting down here. I'm getting it. Okay. Last weekend, I was talking to a lady who, um, with a couple of partners is opening a uh, spa of sorts. And uh, in the spa, they're going to have massage. They're going to have facial treatments, Reiki, um, and mental health um, and mental mm-hmm. health services. And um, so I'm thinking, whoa, that's a whole lot of things. And so as we got talking and she asked me what my background was, so communication, marketing, strategy, change management, you know, on and on and on and on. Um, she wanted to have my opinion and I told her she was trying to do too many things. Now, two things, too many things, yes, in terms of her focus, but is it good for her to have these other services? Yes, it is good for her because then one person who comes for a service may be interested in using another service. So that's good. She's got some diversity happening. Very good. But she wanted the um, mental health aspect to be the most important aspect. However, the, the point that I raised for, to her was that the audience that she wants is the audience that can afford those services. The audience that needs it cannot afford her services at the prices that she was mentioning. Mm. That's a bit of a conundrum. Mm-hmm. Now she's like, what do I do? And so in terms of your diversity, you may want to have diversity because you have, if you have a service that one type of audience desperately needs but cannot afford and one other audience can, under, can afford but not necessarily need or they can go anywhere and get it, then how do you resolve these two things? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you get one area in that diversity to support the other area in that diversity? Is it possible that the people who can afford it might be even more inclined to become clients if they know that they're also subsidizing people who need it very much but can't afford it? I love it. What is the purpose of that spot? What is your purpose? Besides offering a variety of health services, what is the true purpose? Uh, I just, yeah, that definitely landed. As you were talking about that, that is where my mind went. Back to what is the purpose and so I'm 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 feeling this as you're talking about this I can see how that would make sense that if both of these services were congruent with the purpose there's definitely a way with the price and I'm jumping ahead of myself here I'm thinking about the price case but um, I love what it is that you're suggesting there that that purpose is there you maintain the value and the integrity of the offering and you don't compromise the price, but you allow the market that can afford it. One tree, Tom's right. All of these companies, that social purpose, mm-hmm. that a portion of that goes in to then feed and fuel this other segment that needs the ding, ding. Love it. You know when we Love talk it. about, often we talk about um, resources and um, and clients and customers as a pie and it's like limited right and so you want a piece of the pie you need to grow your piece of the pie but how about we just grow the pie <laughs> so even if you keep your little piece like that if you grow the pie all of a sudden you get that much more beautiful yeah no that makes sense that so makes sense for sure diversity customer diversity how can you maybe Maybe your customer diversity comes from partnering with a, right now, competitor. Mm-hmm. And now you're creating double the, um, the sectors, you double the, uh, the audiences. Okay, can you walk through that one? I'm, 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 I'm a founder and I'm listening. I'm going, wait, make that make sense for me. <laughs> Sometimes you've got, because often as companies, we offer several services or products some of them we do really really well and some of them we do okay okay then 
you may have a competitor who does the same stuff. But interestingly enough, the stuff that they do really well is the stuff that you do poorly. And the stuff that you do really well is the stuff they do poorly. Bang. Got it. Right there. Yeah. And what I love about that offering, too, is that as founders are doing their numbers and understanding their cost of goods, they probably have a really good understanding of what products or services might not be making the money. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they just outsource it. They build a relationship with a competitor and they make a pure whatever it is, 10, 15, 20 percent net profit on it without all the overhead attached. They're really good at what they do. You maintain what you're really good at. You do. And you've just doubled your network now. Yeah. Oh, Astrid. <laughs> yes. OK. All I right, love that. Next thing. Great. Redundancy. Let's look at redundancy. Can we so, say it on Twitter? No, I'm sure we keep you here all day with ideas. Okay. Redundancy. <laughs> I know. It's only supposed to be 15 minutes per segment. <laughs> okay. So redundancy. Okay. So, for example, when we talk about production lines, often criticality studies identify redundancy for critical value add components and processes. But do you have redundancy for ensuring that monitoring requirements, for example, are met for your factory? So the question is, what significant environmental aspects and impacts would be affected if something fails in your processes? What are processes? <laughs> processes because there's something there's else. so many that don't even have processes. <laughs> exactly. So here's something. My daughter does quite a bit of work in the executive, um, executive assistance, you know, that kind of stuff. The first thing she does every time she lands in a new office is to, um, to document their standard operating procedures. Okay, I have a feeling if she wants to put her contact information in the show notes below. She... <laughs> okay. So she will, what she will do, she'll observe, take yeah. notes, interview, and then she will write them down. And she will, she will run them by the people who really know the business the owners of the business. And she'll say, is this what you want it to look like? And then they'll look at how they're doing things. That's not very efficient. Or what happens if there is a break right here? Wow. Everything falls apart. So this is a way of creating redundancy is to document your processes and your procedures. Bam, like mic drop moment right there to just start understanding what your process looks like to even then be able to understand where you can create some redundancy. Mm-hmm. Huge. Now, from the change management point of view, little, uh, little warning here. When you interview people in an organization and you ask them how they do their job so you can write it down, they're going to feel fear. The reason they feel fear is because they think you're documenting it to get rid of them. And here, this is where communication and change management and reassurance are super important. You are making them a partner in designing this process or these procedures. And you want them to be able to spend more time on what they do really well or what they enjoy doing, what they excel doing within the organization so that they have to do less of the tedious stuff. You're not trying to replace them. You're trying to help them look at their job and then say, okay, which part in there do you really love doing? Mm, You don't enjoy filing and it doesn't have to be part of your job. How about we give filing to somebody who loves doing that? Some people do. Mm. And you get to concentrate more on this, but you can't do these kinds of things. You can't reallocate your resources. You can't create redundancy in terms of even the roles. And you mentioned that earlier when we talked about redundancy, if you don't have your processes and your procedures documented. Oh, that is, that is brilliant. And you know, where my mind goes, goes back to money here. And what I'm thinking of is that when we're, especially in the cost of goods, when we actually understand the labor that is involved with selling a product or service, it's usually the most painful part of a process that I work with on a client because they're like, oh my gosh, do I really need to go through every single step my employee takes in H1? I'm like, yes, because you're out of pocket. So A, you actually start to get clarity on what needs to get done. B, you now get to hold them accountable to a certain level that they now know they're going to get measured on. So maybe this is bad, Astrid. This is me as a leader. <laughs> You're like, oh, no, that's not how you do it. It's supposed to be. It's all part of it. It's all part of it. You know what? Employees often leave because they are bored. They're not challenged. 
if an employee, if you discover through documentation of their of their job, for example, processes and procedures, if you if you realize through this documentation that they're doing tedious work that they shouldn't be doing, yeah, then you can re reassure them that they will be doing more of that. It's, it's yes, it is accountability, but at the same time, it's also to keep your employees challenged, yeah. right? That you can separate duties that don't have to belong together. Right. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And and I have to say too, just from a, a financial perspective, what usually comes out in the wash through this process is that you've got people that you might be paying $75 an hour for that are doing filing that you should be paying $25 an hour for, for so leveraging those zones of genius, right? Mm -hmm. And where we're absolutely thrive. Absolutely. Okay. Because and, and it's not just if, just the, the financial cost because when you when you create the uh, the SOPs and you do the uh, the processes you document those you also put the time that it takes to do all of these things mm. right and then so if you're looking at something like that and you say this person who's got this level of competence is doing this level of activity and they're spending 60% of their time doing that that is not a good way of keeping a good employee yeah yeah not a great, yeah, not a great, eight, right. So you're not going to keep the employee and your return on investment and your number, it all just goes out the door. Exactly. Because okay. the likelihood is you're paying them more than what, um, than what they need to be delivering. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So diversity, redundancy, we're getting back to this. this That's right. Now we're talking about decentralization. Okay. Bring it. <laughs> all right. So, um, what I'm going to ask is, do you really know where your energy actually comes from? And by energy, I don't necessarily just mean um, your electricity or your gas or anything like that. In nature, energy is what feeds life. So the sun, water, all of these things are energy that support and sustain and grow life. In business, how many links, talking about the business processes, how many links in the supply chain do you have? So for example, the oil industry is going to great lengths, even linking with the European Space Agency to ensure continuity management from space and with many monitoring controls on the ground also. That's been some of my projects been to, to create these kinds of things. So they know that they have variety of, of, um, of monitoring tools and, uh, and processes and they're using this to make sure that, again, they've got redundancy, they've got um, decentralization, it's not just located in one place. But many businesses are in the dark about their supply chain risks and they have no active management process, process in place. So that takes us back to what we were talking about. So as a business, what small steps can you take now to know your supply chain better? What is it? I'll go right away to money, but. Document, 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 <laughs> document everything. And we started talking about it before, but document everything that happens. It's important that you understand where your money is coming from, where your customers are coming from. These are your energy as a living body, your organization, your customers, your vendors, your, uh, your, um, your funds, you, you find where does it all come from? Because wow. So that's a big project. Do you take, do you break that apart and do one thing at a time? Cause even like, so, so when I think supply chain, I'm thinking of suppliers right away and just that whole process of getting things in the accounts receivable, the shipping, the freight, that sometimes it gets, you know, held up at a port and it's going to sit there for three months rotting. And then you've got to reorder again. There's another 2 million. So even just supply chain outside of customers and receiving revenue, I think that's a whole beast just to tackle in and of itself. Um, yes. it, so yeah, is that what you recommend? Just kind of piece by piece? Yes, absolutely. Find out where your, your main pain point. So it's like uh, when it's same thing as you when you do risk management, the likelihood and then how much it's gonna cost you kind of thing. So is the likelihood of the, an event really high? Is it medium? Is it really mm, low? Okay. If it's really high and it costs a lot, this is the first thing you take care of. Okay. If it's really, sorry, if it's really high, if, if it's a high a priority. And there's a, there's a, the level of likelihood and the level of impact. 
Gotcha. Okay. okay. Gotcha. And then, and then the another third element is how easy is it to resolve? So okay. these are three elements you want to look like, uh, at. Is the the um, how likely likelihood how likely is it to happen within our control? How easy it is it is it to resolve that we can actually address it? And then that becomes priority number one. Exactly. And what would you, in terms of running through these lists, would you start with suppliers and then move into customers? Or really, is that just business dependent and everyone's going to get an idea of where they're weakest? Because each business knows what their pain points are. Okay. Okay. It could be, for one, it could be delivery or products of raw material. For another one, it could be getting payment from from um, from your clients. Everybody's got a different pain point. Pick the one that's costing you the most and that uh, that has the, the, the highest impact on your business and on your bottom line. Great advice there. Great advice. Okay. Yeah, supply chain management, especially through COVID, right? I think we all kind of went, you know, we, we all experienced some challenges with that. So again, just a great wake up call to kind of lock that in so it doesn't happen again. That's really what lessons are, right? Mistakes are lessons learned. So that's exactly okay. what it is. And when you learn a lesson, again, record it. We have a tendency to take things uh, for granted, including yeah. successes. Record your successes and record your lessons learned. They become part of your planning of you becoming resilient. Beautiful. And so when you say record, I'm assuming you could record, but also document, right? Document. That's what I understand. You know, the other thing I love about documentation of this is that, and I know many founders out there watching right now, we don't always start with the end in mind. We don't really appreciate or have the the inclination or the intention of saying, well, I want to get out a year five for this much, whatever that looks like. But the processes, when we lock those in, the value of the business actually grows exponentially, right? Because yes. we, we have processes that we can now sell. So it's, you know, it, it gets lumped into that bucket of goodwill, but it's, uh, it, it just, it increases the value of the business by having the processes documented. So it is Absolutely. a good investment of time on Absolutely. so many different levels. Yeah. So many Absolutely. levels. Okay. Now the fourth area is self-renewal. So going back to nature, if we look at nature, for example, we know that uh, one of the elements that strongly influences um, um, forests, the structure, the growth, the renewal of forests is fire. I was going to say to get burnt. Okay, so we've all been burnt yeah. this year. Yeah. Okay. So, but different species respond differently. So, for example, I'm going to get um, I'm going to get a very sorry. My phone is buzzing <laughs> off here. Um, the um, I'm going to get a little bit of my biology side here. So, for example, aspen and birch are the kind of uh, trees that are able to establish themselves quickly by sprouting from the stumps and from the roots of burned trees. Okay, so then they're able to recognize uh, burned sites by producing abundant seeds, and they can be blown by the wind and lo- long distances. Okay, now there's another couple of uh, of uh, trees, or both couple of pines. I'm not going to give you the names, but what they have is they have pine cones that are protected by a waxy coating, and only through the heat of fire can that uh, waxy coating melt, and then they release the seeds. Okay, so all of this to say that to the same event different entities react differently, but just as successfully. So the question is, how can your business thrive in the face of adverse situations and be agile enough to build in response strategies to renew and thrive while maintaining function and purpose integrity? You're going to have to break that one down for me. Okay. So how can your business thrive in the face of adverse situations? By being adaptable, by being agile. Okay. Now, how do you become agile enough to build in response strategies that allow you to renew and thrive while maintaining function and function integrity as well as purpose integrity? all of these things that we've been talking about. But when you look at, and you were saying earlier, when you look at um, crisis, there's always a chance for opportunity. And so this is about putting different set of lenses on. Mm-hmm. And the lenses that we look at is where is the opportunity? 
within the crisis. There's always one. And finding it is what's most difficult. Sometimes you need ways of looking at things that may engage people who think differently. This is where artists are brilliant because they think outside of the boundaries of uh, tradition. This is where children can be really helpful. Hey, six-year-old, how would you do this? Yeah. yeah. And then something silly. This uh, We talk about brainstorming, but how can a crisis with it, the purpose of your organization and the function that it survives through, how can these things adapt to, um, to become more resilient and to use the crisis as an opportunity? Hmm. How can you leverage what it is that you do by tweaking it, expanding it, whichever way, so that you can see the opportunities within the crisis? No, I get it. I get it. And I think that becomes a that becomes a loaded question for a lot of founders. But I think what I'm hearing in that is that kind of stepping back a little bit, right, like remove yourself from the problem. That's probably the first thing to, to actually just get out of that crisis. If that means, you know, stop working in the space, right, and, and just getting that brain space to kind of see it for what it is potentially a sounding board, working with the team at Community Futures, right? Being able to speak with them, speaking with all those entrepreneurial organizations that are out there to support founders right now, walking exactly. through this for, for, for brainstorming purposes. But you know what also comes to me when you say that is this idea again of what you talked about, your purpose, right? Like again, that really does become the North Star and I know there's a lot of people, I actually had a conversation today where he, he talked about just being in such crisis that he just, he couldn't, he couldn't deal with it any longer. So he just shut everything down and walked away. And now in hindsight, he's saying, I wish I hadn't have done that, right? I, I wish there would have been different options there. So um, really getting that time to just kind of step away from the situation for a bit, surrounding yourself with a support system where people can help you, reaching out to experts like yourself that can say, you know, let's just look at this. I love how you say that with different lenses to just get a fresh perspective on the situation because that might just be all it is. It's interesting that you, when you're talking about stepping back, because what came to mind, and I can't remember their name, but there's an, organ, a, an organization out there, a for-profit organization, but where they shut down during the winter, they shut down for three months. And they look at everything. With it. Basically, they're doing just like nature, shutting down everything, right? Big coat of snow, shutting it all down, but working underneath looking at their processes, looking at the market, looking at the different types of economies, looking at their customers, looking at everything, examining everything under that really close up lens to say, okay, do we keep doing business as usual, but, or do we tweak things? Oh, what know? a smart idea. Cause yeah, you just get that breathing space, right? You don't need to be working in the business all the time when you can't see anything, you get to work on the business. I love that idea. You just have to build a cash flow around that and just show zero revenue for three months and then make sure that you load up on the other nine. And, and depending on the size of the organization, because I do believe this was a not a very tiny organization, but um, depending on the size of the, the organization, maybe it's a month. Maybe it's a month where this is what you do. You take your key you know, stakeholders, whether they be internal or external, you ask you know, your customers for their opinion. You can have uh, boards, you know, yes. of, uh, we know this, boards of, of, um, of your main stakeholders, of your key yeah. stakeholders, and then you bring everybody to the table and you say, okay, if we were to change something in the way we serve you, in the way we receive services from you, how would we do it? What, what would, would, we, would it look like, right? Yeah. Um, but taking the, the time to step back is hugely important because when you've got your, your nose right in the business, it can't be on the business. You can't do both. So true. So, so true. Oh, well, Astrid, I have, I have kept you a lot longer than we had talked about. I so appreciate you. I know our founders appreciate you um, and our champs. So you gave us so much to think about, really. I, I've, I've never... You know, you know me, I've been doing this for a long time and I've, I've never had this conversation before. I've had many and I have never had this one. So um, 
thank you for that. Like my eyes are just like, Oh, I am looking at this a completely, completely different way. So um, I so appreciate you and your magnificence and brilliance and bringing that to the table here today to the lab. And uh, thank you community futures again, community futures to you and sunrise for, for recommending the topic. Cause it, you know, we just don't know what we don't know. So um and founders, as always, thank you for tuning in and for watching. Um, Astrid, your information is going to be in the show notes below. So please feel free to reach out to Astrid or maybe even her daughter if you're looking for some help writing your processes. And um, I'm going to leave it there. And just, you know, as always, please thank stay you. safe, stay strong, stay financially fierce. Astrid, again, so appreciate you. Thank you for showing up and sharing your, your time with us today. It's been my absolute pleasure. And there's something that I do is that if you reach out to me, you can get one hour free of my time just well, to ask questions. Okay, we'll get your phone. That's, ready. that's my way of giving back because I don't have enough hours to volunteer at the pet store or anything like that. So. <laughs> So my way of giving back is um, is to share what I'm passionate about with uh, with entrepreneurs and uh, and small businesses. Well, that is very generous of you. Thank you so much for making that offer. I know you're going to get people get taking you up on that. So thank you. Okay, everybody. Um, there you go. There you have it. We'll see you in the next episode of the Cap Lab. Bye for now.